For those of you that don't know, my name is Dom. Uh, I lead the church here uh, with, uh, with my wife, Samantha, who is on the piano uh, this morning. And, uh, and we're kind of in, in a series at the moment uh, looking at what does the Bible say about, uh, about various things. Is that all right? Do we remember that? Oh, you guys are so good. I nearly forgot this week. I didn't really. That's a joke. Open with a joke. That's what you should do. It's alleged. Who has ever been to a concert? <clears throat> concert? Yeah, some kind of event. I've been to, uh, I've been to a number of concerts. And uh, in fact, uh, some of you might know that I used to work at, uh, at live events. I used to do a lot of uh, working at concerts and what have you, doing various technical things. Very cool. And, uh, and when uh, at an event, you might, you might know this, you might not. Uh, but anyone who works at an event gets given a, a badge, right? A little identity badge. And uh, depending on who you are and what sort of uh, group or team you're a part of in that event, your badge, your identity badge, uh, gives you access to different areas, yeah? So you can go into some areas and, and not other areas. Or sometimes I was given the super coveted badge, right? Access all areas. You heard of that one? AAA badge? It means you can go anywhere, anywhere in the event. And there are a number of times that I've been in, in events with an Access All Areas badge, and I was able to go into the, the, all sorts of fun places. Right? I was able to go and uh, mingle with the stars of the show. That didn't happen very often. In fact, uh, usually in those, in those, it's not like Ed Sheeran or anything. It was more like, I don't know, a, a school show. Or, or amateur drama or something like that. But still, regardless, you know, access all areas. All right? I still hang it up on my wall. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but I think it's very... Or perhaps has anybody ever anybody worked in an office where all the doors are controlled by little key cards? Yeah? Anyone? Literally just me. Right. I used to work in, in an office, and, uh, and uh, it was an office where there were multiple companies in the office, and I had a badge, and, uh, and I would often go around the building trying to see which doors uh, my badge would open to see if I could get anywhere else that was just, you know, apart from my boring office. There was a, a, a rec room, recreation room, and I had a pool table in it, and, uh, and so I tried to get in there with my badge. Uh, it didn't, didn't work, though, because I, I wasn't part of the company that paid for that room. Uh, so, uh, so that was a shame. But, uh, but, but I think, I think it's still, uh, it still uh, helps us, doesn't it, to, uh, to understand that our identity, our identity, the identity badge, if you like, that we have, uh, is important to us, isn't it? Our identity badge, our identity is important to us, and it, it gives us access to various different things, various different areas, if you like. And, uh, and our identity is a hugely important part of, uh, of who we are. Our identity defines, does it not, how other people see us? Yeah? Our identity defines how we see ourselves, or, or even what we can do. It defines what limit, perhaps, we think we have. Our identity is a hugely important part of who we are, and because it is the fundamental essence of our being, yeah? Gone very quickly from, you know, a story about, uh, about concerts and offices to some, you know, some, some deep philosophy, yeah? Did you notice that little transition? Our identity is the very essence of who we are. Write that down. And, uh, and so with something so important, with something so important and so fundamental 
that, uh, that speaks of our very being, I think it's important, don't you, that we discover what the Bible says about identity. Yeah? What does the Bible say about identity? And so that's, what, that's the question that we're looking at this morning. And, uh, and I want to start by looking at our original identity. Our original identity. So if you can, I'd like you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 5. It's going to be on the, uh, on the screen as well. Uh, for those of you who have forgotten your paper Bibles this morning. Paper is better than iPad. Just saying. Uh, but, uh, uh, but if you can open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 5, and, uh, and I'll just read. It says this. Uh, this is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. Let's stop there. When God created humanity, he did so. He made humanity. He made us, our collective uh, species, our collective race. He made us in the, image, in the likeness, the Bible says, of God. Yeah? He made us in the, in the likeness of God. And at that moment, humanity received a blessing from God. A blessing. Did you read that? Genesis, uh, Genesis 5, that we received a blessing from God because humanity is the epitome of God's creation. Created so much in the image of God that we receive this blessing from God. And I find this, this word blessing to be, uh, to be really interesting because the Bible use, uses this word blessing. And, and sometimes we can glaze over things in the Bible, can't we? Blessing. Blessing. Oh, it's just a blessing. Bless you. At you. Thank you. But this is no sneeze blessing. This is no bless you. This, uh, the word blessing here is this word berach. Right in Hebrew, everyone say Beiroch. Beiroch. You have to do thing at the end. Beiroch. And uh, and and the word. I want to show you uh, what this word means. Uh, I'll just quickly switch to First Samuel 25. You don't have to switch there because you'll be flipping all over the place. Uh, but in First Samuel 25, David says to Abigail, "Praise be to God, the uh, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me." And this, this word that David uses, praise, is the same word, berok, berok, right? It's the same praise, the praise that the worshipper and man after God's own heart, King David, gives to God is the same praise and blessing that God gives to humanity when he created it. Don't you think that's cool? Anything that's cool? Now, it's important to note, God does not worship humanity. God does not worship humanity. The reason for the high praise and the blessing that we receive from God has nothing to do with us and everything to do with the fact that we are made in the image of God. And so when God sees us, he sees himself. Yeah? Are we happy with that? Are we happy with that? When God looks upon humanity, he sees himself. And so this was our original identity. A creature reflecting the glory of God and in so doing, being praised and blessed by God. Yeah? That okay? Everyone happy with our original identity? Can you give me something back this morning, church? <laughs> Thank you, Dorothy. It's very kind. And our original identity gives us access to God. 
to be in perfect communion with God. And so we know this. We know the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve existed in perfect communion with God uh, because our identity gives us this access to God. And we know this, don't we? We know this. We know this creation story. We've, uh, we've mentioned this, in fact, a number of times over the past few weeks. This is what the Bible gives and says is the original identity of humanity. And we also know Because I preached on it a couple of weeks ago that in Genesis 3, soon after this identity was bestowed upon us, um, humanity rejected this identity, didn't it? Yeah? Humanity rejected this identity. We didn't want the identity given to us by God. And so we reject the identity that we were created to carry. And so we no longer hold and carry the identity that gives us access to God because our disobedience towards God replaces a righteous reflection of God with unrighteousness and sin, yeah? We may no longer be in close proximity to God because a righteous God cannot look upon a sinful person. Isaiah 59, but your iniquities have separated you from God your sins have hidden his face from you. Right? That's what the Bible says. And so we reject our original identity and we reap the consequences of that as humanity. This is all quite down in the dump so far, isn't it? Yeah, I'm bringing it down. Don't worry, I'll bring it up. We've got a whole storyline. It's going to be great. Bear with me. Yeah, yeah. Can, you, can you hold on? Yeah, <laughs> great stuff. So our, our, our rejected, the fact that we reject our identity that God has created us to carry means that we're no longer in communion with God. And, uh, and so that's the effect, that's the consequence of, of our access. But what, is, what happens when we reject the identity that we were supposed to carry? A void is left, isn't it? A void of identity is left. The one that we were given We've rejected, and so it's left an empty void. It's left an empty void that needs something to fill it. We need identity. Who recognizes that in humanity? We need identity. We need some kind of thing, some kind of label, some kind of banner, some, something that says and describes who we are. And so something needs to fill the void of the identity when we rejected the, uh, the identity that God gave us. And, uh, and so that's what we're going to talk about uh, this morning. And, uh, and so I want to show us uh, ways, two, two specific ways uh, that, ident- that this identity void is being filled. Is that all right? Great. If you could uh, uh, flick over to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6 tells the story of Gideon. And, uh, um, and I'll read it for you. It says this from verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because of the power, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. And so we, we read that God's people, the Israelite people, God's chosen people throughout the Old Testament have once again rejected God. They do evil in the eyes of God. They're rejecting God, and they're once again denouncing and rejecting the identity uh, that God is bestowing upon them. And so God gives them up to their enemies, right? 
God gives them up to their enemies. God's people say, hey, you know, we don't want to faithfully obey you anymore. And uh, then God says, okay, fine. Uh, If you don't want me to be your savior and protector, I won't be. Uh, That's what's happening here. God does not force compliance. God will not force you to comply with him. He gave us free will. And the Israelites in this instance are exercising their free will. And God's just like, okay, that's fine. So this sets the scene for where we are. The Israelites are not in a good place. Uh, They are fighting, uh, or facing rather, the Midianite army. And then we read from verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep him from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I don't know who needs to hear this morning, the Lord is with you. I don't know uh, if there's somebody in this place this morning that is is facing something that doesn't feel like a mighty warrior. Uh, The Lord wants to tell you this morning that he is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And so we observe very, uh, very clearly what happens without a close proximity to God. The Israelites have rejected God. They've, uh, they've done evil in his eyes and rejected the identity, if you like, of being God's chosen people. And without this identity bestowed upon them by God, an alternative identity has begun to take root in Midian. And the identity that Midian has adopted is this. It says, I am weak. Gideon says he is the least in his family. His identity is being defined by comparing himself to other people. His clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And so Gideon has adopted this identity of being the least of the weak. This is Gideon's uh, self, uh, self-appointed false identity. And it's an identity that has been created by Gideon based on comparison to others. And the effects that this identity has are really harmful. Are really harmful because Gideon says, how can I save Israel? How can I save Israel? This identity that Gideon has made up for himself has placed a restriction above him, hasn't it? Can we see that? Can we see the restriction above him? It has put a limit on what he can accomplish because his identity was based on comparison to others and not the word of God. And so this, this self-afflicted, self-imposed false identity has placed restriction over Gideon's life. And some of us in this place have adopted this idea, have adopted a self-appointed identity that is placing restriction and limitation on what we're able to achieve. I don't know if that sounds familiar to anybody. Often because we're basing our identity on comparison to other people rather than an identity bestowed by God. Now this is obviously prevalent outside the church. That's kind of obvious, isn't it? You know, we just turn on the social media and like it's a TV. (laughs) 
just just turn on the social media and uh, and you'll see uh, you'll see comparison and you'll see uh, identity based on comparison all over the place because you know for people that haven't yet chosen to uh, to accept Jesus and receive their new identity in Christ uh, that that that's what happened that's that's very likely to happen but i find it more tragic when this happens in the church and and you know we can all be susceptible to this at, at different times when we know and we gratefully accept our identity in Jesus given to us by God the Father, but we're still struggling to live in it fully and completely. We're still operating in identities that we held before we knew Jesus, identities based on comparison and identities that restrict and limit what we can do and what God says that we can do. And so what does God do about this? What does God do about Gideon's self-appointed uh, identity that is restricting uh, what he does? From verse 16, the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving not, uh, none alive. I found, this, I found this verse really interesting. I found this verse really interesting. I'll tell you why. Because God doesn't go to comfort Midian. Did you notice that? God doesn't go to comfort Midian. He doesn't, in fact, meet Gideon in his sort of, in his, in his wallow. God is the comforter, absolutely. The Holy Spirit is our, is our comforter and brings comfort to us, and he does sincerely care for us. But sometimes the answer is not to meet us in that place, but it's to remind us who uh, we are by showing us who we are. Is to remind us who we are by showing us who we are. And so God says, I will be with you. I will be with you, but actually you are the one to strike down the Midianites. Why? Why is that significant? Because then Gideon will discover his identity for himself. He will discover his identity for himself. See, God could tell you, and he will tell you about your identity. In fact, he wrote a whole book about it. But he knows that it's far more impactful for you if you go into battle and discover it for yourself. And so that's what he does. That's what he sends Midian into, uh, Gideon sorry, into battle. And so Gideon goes into battle, and he goes with just 300 men, Right? 300 men, they get whittled down from about 32,000 uh, to 300 men that face an army of not only the Midianites, but also uh, the uh, Am- 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 Amalekites. Amalekites. The Amalekites. So he faces this, this huge army, and so the odds aren't looking great, uh, but he goes anyway, and then this is what happens from verse 22. When the 300 trumpets... Right, of, of uh, Gideon's army, when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. And so Gideon discovered his own strength and his faith, but more than that, he actually discovered that it actually was the Lord. It actually was the Lord that won the battle. I find that incredible. I find that incredible that God sends Gideon and says, you're going to do this. And so Gideon goes in faith because the odds are beyond scary and God shows up and God wins the battle regardless. 
That's incredible. But in so doing, Gideon finds this identity, a new identity, one that, that actually informs who he is. He is one who is protected by God. He is one who fights in the army of God, but he is one that ultimately observes the victory of God. Some of us are facing an identity crisis based on uh, limiting and restrictive, self-opposed, false identities. And, uh, and it's time that we, that we do some work to put those identities away. Because we sang this morning that the name of Jesus is the name above every name. The name of Jesus is the name that is above false identity. A false identity that is seeking to restrict and limit what God has for you. Of course, it isn't just self-inflicted false identities uh, that, uh, that, that we need to be cautious of. Often we can be the recipients of a false identity that is given to us by somebody else. Many of you will know, if you've been in this church for more than five minutes, that I am somebody who absolutely loves the story of David, right, King David? Um, and, uh, and we read the story of David in First and Second Samuel mostly, um, and, uh, and I, I love the story. It's a rags-to-riches story. Everyone loves a rags-to-riches story, don't they? Yeah? X Factor? You know it gets the tears going, Right? I love, uh, I love the, uh, the story of David, and, uh, and so uh, what happens is this. Samuel, who's a, who's a prophet, is sent to this house, the house of Jesse, right? And he's sent to find the next king of Israel. And he's told by God that it's going to be one of Jesse's sons. And so he goes to Jesse's house, and all Jesse's sons stand in line, and, uh, <clears throat> and they're all looking very kingly, right? They're all looking very manly. They're giving off significant king vibes, a lot of them. And um, 1 Samuel 16.6 says this, when Samuel arrived, Samuel said to Eliab, uh, saw Eliab, sorry, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Samuel instantly recognizes the one that he thinks should be king, right? The strongest king vibes uh, are given off by Eliab, and Samuel's like, this is the guy. Uh, but God says in, in, chapter, in verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And so they go down the whole line of potential kings, all of Jesse's sons, and, uh, and the Lord rejects each lad uh, in turn, right? None of these, none of these um, people are fit to be king. And so verse 11, uh, Samuel goes to Jesse and says, are, all, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Jesse, at this point, he's talking about David. He's talking about David. And David's just a young boy, right? He's just a young boy, and, uh, and he's so ill-fit to be the king in his own father's eyes uh, that they didn't even invite him to the lineup. And so this is the identity that is placed on David. You are not worthy. You are not good enough. You are only good for the one thing that I deem you to be good at, and so you'll stay out there doing that. And this restrictive and limiting identity is not self-inflicted this time as it is with Gideon, but it's actually uh, put on him by somebody else. In fact, it's put on him by his own father. And some of us in this place are 
bearers of identities that have been bestowed upon us by other people. Or we're still holding on to identities that were given to us by other people before we knew Jesus. And we're still carrying around these identities that are restrictive, that are limiting, and that define how we see ourselves and that define a lower value than the value that we have, the value that God gives us. And some of these identities have been given to us by those who are closest to us. Spoken over us by people that we love and trust. Proverbs 18 tells us that there is the power of life and death in the tongue. That our words have power. They have authority. And so when a void is left from our original identity that humanity collectively rejected, all sorts of stuff can fill the gap. But in verse 12 we read this. So he sent for him, David, and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord says, rise and anoint him. This is the one. See, despite what has been spoken over David, despite the identity that's been uh, placed on him by somebody else, the voice of God speaks louder. The voice of God speaks louder. Do we know that this morning? And the power of the word of God is a far stronger word than anybody else. And so where Jesse speaks a shepherd boy, God speaks a king. Where the world speaks worthless, God speaks royalty. Where the world speaks useless, God speaks purpose. Where the world speaks unable, God speaks more than a conqueror. And again, in the world, it's common to see these identities reign and being placed on people by, uh, by other people, speaking um, destructive and restrictive identities over people. But it's worse in the church when we're still carrying remnants of identities spoken over us by other people. I feel like we need to pray. Is that all right? Well, Lord, we thank you that, uh, that you are the one that gives us our identity, that we receive our identity from the person who created us. But, Lord, we, um, we, speak, we speak against these identities, these false identities that have been given by, by others. Many of us are still carrying uh, remnants of identities spoken over us by by people that we know and love and trust. We're still carrying these things. And so, Lord, we just speak out against them this morning and we declare the power in the name of Jesus. And Lord, would you help us to live and to walk fully in the identity that you have bestowed upon us? Amen. See, these false identities, they have a power. They have the ability to steal from us and they can limit and restrict us. They uh, limit our access to God-given potential and they uh, limit our, our access uh, to, our, to control even over our own minds, over our own uh, thoughts, over our own um, abilities. 
And at the full extent, when fully outlived, these false identities even restrict our access to God. And so a false identity is, is a detriment to any one of us, and, and we ought to be, uh, be, be wary and on guard for these false identities that can creep in. Hey? But there's a, another identity that can enter the void. So we've spoken about false identities, yeah? both self-appointed and spoken over by other people. But there is another identity that can fill the void. And uh, I've called it a sub-identity. A sub-identity. See, we're complex people, hey? Who knows that? Who knows they're complex? Who thinks they're simple? Not many people put their hands up there. So, so we're all complex, yeah? We're complex people. We're multi-dimensional people. There are many things, many different parts that make you up, Yeah? I think of myself, I have a job, so I am a, a pastor slash web developer, right? I, I have a marriage, and so I am a husband, right? I have other things that, that, that make me up, more contentious ones, right? I have a sexuality, I am straight. I have a race, I am Caucasian. I have a gender, I am male. And so, so these things all form part of who I am, don't they? Anyone disagree with that? Alan definitely doesn't. <laughs> but these attributes that make up who I am, they form part of my identity, but they are not my identity, are they? And no individual one of them can possibly seek to be my identity. These things about me are relevant in certain situations and certain, uh, certain contexts, um, you know, to, to give context about, about me in that situation. But without a firmly held identity that describes the essence of who you are, here's what we can see. We can see attributes of a person, characteristics of a person, rise up the ranking order to become the central focus of identity. Does that make any sense? We're going to go into it further. It's going to get a bit contentious. Is that all right? Yeah, a little bit. So an identity built around a minor attribute of a person is not a, a real identity, is it? Because it doesn't describe the full essence of who we are. So, uh, so it doesn't make any sense for me to say I am a web developer, right? That is who I am. That's the very essence of my being. Because that, that's not the very essence of my being, is it? No. And, and it doesn't make sense for me to say, well, I'm, I'm married, I'm a husband. That's the very essence of who I am because it, it fails to, to include other aspects of who I am, yeah? So it's not my main identity. See, these things by themselves, they're not bad things, but they don't encompass the fullness of a person. And it's highlighted more in the world today. And this, uh, this is what I wanted to, um, that, that I think we need to spend some time as a church talking about. Is that all right? You don't know yet. It's highlighted more in the world today, and we need, to, we need to understand the patterns of the world, right? What is happening right now, right now outside the doors. I am X sexuality. I am Y gender. Yeah? I am this race or that race. Entire top level and primary identities are being formed around a singular characteristic. A singular characteristic. And it's not the fullness of that person. 
But they're building an identity around a minor attribute, and it's becoming really harmful in society. It's becoming really harmful. But this is what happens when a primary identity is removed. When a primary identity is removed, that of creation of God, something will, 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 uh, will fill the void. A community of people building their identities around minor attributes has devastating consequences. And I want to show you how that works in, a, in, in, a, in, a, in the context of the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 12, Paul writes this. One of you says, I follow Paul. And another, I follow Apollos. And another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? See, Paul is addressing a division in the church, and this division is based on specific teaching, right? specific leaders, specific um, uh, f- uh, um, f- uh, the following of specific, uh, specific teachers, and individuals in the church are claiming to be followers of specific teachers aligning themselves under a particular banner and causing a division between them and their peers under a different banner. Does that make sense? Yeah? And so Paul asks, is Christ divided? Because there is a division that occurs when we align under a banner. Because when the primary identity isn't held in place, when minor details begin to take the place of primary identity, there is obviously alignment under specific banners with aggressive and, and uh, attachment to those banners. And I think, I think this is fairly observable. I think this is fairly observable in, in the world that we see today. And there becomes only division. There becomes only division. It only ever divides. And I don't, I don't share this to highlight division in the church, because I don't think there is division in this church, unless anyone comes to me at the end and says, oh, this church is divided. Please tell me if you think that's the case. I, I don't think that's the case. So I, I don't share this to highlight division in the church. I, I don't even share this to highlight division in the wider church. Right? There are many churches in this town, and we get on famously with, uh, with all of them. And uh, you know, we all have different styles, and, and that's, that's great. That's the church, um, and, uh, and, and that's fine. And so, so I don't do this to highlight division in the church, but I do so because there is a very real division that we're experiencing in the world. The world is so divided. Broken people finding their identities in particular characteristics, small factions uniting under, uh, under smaller banners, and then each banner being pitted against other banners. And people are so desperately attached to a, a sub-par identity that aggression and division reign. And that's what we're seeing in the world, aren't we? Has anyone else seen that, or is it just my social media feed? It's important that we recognize the pattern that we're seeing in the world. This adoption and allegiance to characteristic-based identities. I really do believe, church, that uh, you might think that I'm being dramatic, but I really do believe uh, that, uh, that it is the enemy, well, it is, it is the enemy that seeks to cause division. Don't we know that? 
The enemy seeks to hand us a false identity that does not reflect the trueness of how God creates to keep us entertained and preoccupied with lesser things and lesser identities. And if the enemy can keep people distracted with an empty and meaningless identity, they are less likely to look for true identity. If he can get somebody to build an identity around a sexuality, a gender, or a race, whatever it might be, they will be distracted from looking for their true identity in Christ. Distracted from looking for an identity that removes division, that removes distraction, uh, that removes limitation. And this is the current trend in society, and it's extremely effective. And I, and I do strongly believe, this is the dramatic bit, that this, this idea, what we're facing in the world today, is demonic. And I know it sounds extreme. I know it sounds extreme, right? Sounds a bit old school Baptist minister, doesn't it? In America, Southern Baptist. I understand that. I've seen the YouTubes. I appreciate that it sounds demonic, but I'm deadly serious. I believe it is. 2 Corinthians 11. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Is it not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness? See, what we're seeing at the moment, this, these, these various factions, I'm not going to name anything by name, but these various things that are happening, I think you know what I'm talking about. Much of the current hype appears good, appears so good, appears virtuous, but the effects are aggression, division, and distraction. And as followers of Christ, we must recognize this tactic of the enemy, this tactic that seeks to divide. We observe the effects and we stand against that which seeks to divide our society whilst recognizing an important factor. In Ephesians 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. What we're seeing in the world has nothing to do with the world. It's got nothing to do with what it appears like it, it is on face value. It's a tactic of the enemy. Number one, provide false substandard identity that keeps them distracted from identity in Jesus. Step two, organize those identities under banners. Step three, pitch those banners against each other. That's what we're seeing. That's what we're seeing in the world today, and it's very, very effective. Very effective. And so we've seen false identity, haven't we? Yeah? Everyone feeling a bit sad now? Com contemplative. Con no, contemplative. Con contemplating things. <laughs> We've seen false identities, either that we can pick up ourselves by comparison to others, and we've seen, uh, we've seen uh, uh, sub-identities rising up and becoming a primary identity and, and the effects and the damage that that causes. But the Bible gives us our identity, doesn't it, church? The Bible gives us our identity, and it is far more powerful than anything that the world can bestow on us. In John 1, we read this, Yet, to all those who did receive him, who? Jesus. To all those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be children of God. Anyone who is in Christ church, you need to know this this morning, has a right to be a child of God. What does that mean? Welcomed into the family of God. 
welcomed into the family of the creator of all the universe. A new identity gives us access, church, to God the Father once again. That access that was stripped away when we rejected our original identity in Eden, that identity, that access is restored. But 2 Corinthians 5 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. Church, you need to know this. Anyone who is in Christ is made fully new. Yeah? Yeah, amen? All the old sin, all the shame is completely gone. It's wiped away by the blood of Jesus. We are restored to our original identity. Amen? This is great news. This is, this is reason to rejoice. We have access and authority over sin. We prayed that this morning. We have, we have access and authority over, uh, over, over things that once bound us. By the power and through the name of Jesus, we now have access and authority over those things. Amen? Romans 8. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs to God and co-heirs with Christ. Anyone who is in Christ is not only restored to their original identity, but they gain even more than we had in the Garden of Eden. Yeah? We gain even more now to be a co-heir with Jesus. What does that mean? It means we inherit what Jesus inherits to claim the same authority, the same, uh, the same access through Jesus over all things. That's what the Bible teaches us. We have access to share in the glory of the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Philippians 4.13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. We have the power and authority to achieve victory, church, through Christ over sins, over addictions, over chains that bind, over challenges that we face. We have access and strength to a courage that propels us into what God calls us to do, yeah? So good. And finally, 2 Peter 2. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood and a holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Anyone who's in Christ is a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. What does that mean? This is a responsibility, church. This is a responsibility. A priest, a biblical priest is a mediator, right, between God and humanity. We declare the praises of God to humanity, to our fellow uh, mankind, to our fellow humanity, and we pray for the people to God. This is the role of a priest. This is the role of a priest. We have access to the light of the world and a responsibility to bring that light into the world. Amen? As the church, we, we've got to be sensitive to what the world is doing, haven't we? That's our, I think so. We've got to be sensitive to what the world is doing. We must be aware of how the enemy... The enemy changes tax in different generations. You just observe church history to see how you know, things don't stay the same throughout the history of the church, throughout the history of, of, of the enemy's tactics. It might be repeated sometimes throughout history, but it's not consistent. We spoke a few weeks ago, didn't we? The enemy is sneaky, yeah? It's crafty, the most crafty. And so we've got to be, we've got to be sensitive, we've got to be alert to figure out what is the enemy doing right now? What is the current tactic in this generation? And I believe that we're seeing it. We're seeing division. We're seeing division 
and, uh, and, and false identity that replaces that of the identity bestowed on us by the Father. We're seeing that, and so we've we got to be sensitive to this, to recognize the tactics so that we can be vigilant, because there is no higher identity than the one that is given to us when we accept Jesus. Our position, our relationships, gender, whatever else it might be, any other attribute of us, they do not supersede our identity in Christ, do they? When we get to heaven, all these things will be entirely irrelevant. We do have to be sensitive to the current moment because people are so wrapped up in these identities right now that our spreading of the gospel is more complicated or different anyway. We must be sensitive when people, when we, when we encounter people whose entire perception of who they are is wrapped up in a particular thing. We've got to be sensitive to that, church, haven't we? We've got to be sensitive to that. Because these are people that are created in the likeness of God. These are people that God has created, that God loved and that Jesus died on the cross for. And so we've got to be sensitive. We're effectively helping people along the journey of an identity transplant. That's what I believe the spreading of the gospel is these days. And it's a messy business, and so love must reign. Love must absolutely reign. It must be our guiding principle, mustn't it? That's what the Bible says, do all things, do them in love. It's written up there. We are a royal priesthood of God. We have a responsibility to take the light of Jesus into the world, to free, to, to see people freed of identities that have been constructed that don't fully define who they're created to be. We've got to do that in love. I don't feel challenged this morning. I don't feel encouraged.